Welcome to Three Song Stories, the podcast that wields the way songs bind themselves to memories as a means of getting our guests to open up about themselves in ways that even they might not expect. Thanks for listening. I'm Mike Canary. Our guest today is Jim Griffith. Jim's a Florida native musician and art center director. He got his MM degree from the Juilliard School in 1987. Before that, he got his undergraduate degree from the Manhattan School of Music and attended Florida State University. Over his career, he's been a member of the Hudson String Quartet in New York, a faculty member of Point Counterpoint Chamber Music Camp in Vermont, and director of the New Arts Festival in Fort Myers. He formerly served as principal violist of the New York Pro Art Chamber Orchestra and the New York Virtuosi, and he's played with a bunch of other orchestras around the country over the years. He's been with the Naples Philharmonic since 1989. Jim, that's 30 years. In 1997, he formed a nonprofit called Florida Arts, Inc. in order to create a home for the arts in downtown Fort Myers. Since then, he's managed the founding and development of what has become one of the premier visual and performing arts venues in southwest Florida, the Sydney and Byrne Davis Arts Center. It's in a 23,000-square-foot former federal building, originally built in 1933. These days, downtown Fort Myers is hopping, and the Sydney and Byrne is definitely at the core of its arts and culture scene. I've known Jim through the Arts Center and my life in radio since the mid-2000s, but I've never had the chance to get to know him personally all that well, but that's all about to change. Let's go. Hey, Jim. Good morning. Good morning at 2.28.48 in the afternoon. Um, no, seriously, thank you so much for doing this. What I, what I said about the Sydney and Byrne Davis Art Center is absolutely true. What you've done is amazing. I'm sure we'll get into that some as we proceed. I didn't realize you were a Florida native. I don't know why I wouldn't have maybe thought that, but where were you raised? What's, what's your connection? Or both, my parents were in, yeah, my, both my parents were in the Navy, and we were, they were stationed in Jacksonville, Florida, and okay. that's where I was born. Hmm. And did you grow up there, or did then they move no. you along to some other place? Port. Uh, shortly thereafter, m- my dad uh, took on a position with uh, TWA Airlines. He was a uh, uh, weather reconnaissance uh, expert, and th- they hired TWA. NASA hi- hired TWA uh, to do uh, weather reconnaissance for the Apollo missions. Oh, really? And uh, so we were shipped out to Grand Bahama Island and Grand Turk Island for six years, and. That's where uh, the first six years of my life were in, in, the, in the Bahamas. What was the musical background of your childhood at that time and then thereafter? What I, was happening around you musically? I think my dad played the radio and that's about it. That was about it? <laughs> there was nothing out there on the islands, no. Oh, yeah. I was going to say. So <laughs> what kind of music do you remember hearing out there? Do you remember hearing anything in particular or was that too early? That was too early. Very little memory of, of that. Uh, you know, I have scenes in my head of of that time. When you made it back to civilization, yeah. what was being played? Did your <laughs> folks have records or anything like that? I mean, that's a often asked question to me is what's, because I'm a professional musician, right. what, what, what did I have in my, in my family, in my house? And, and you're not there, a musical house. There was none. No, my, like I said, my dad played the radio. What's the earliest it. musical memory you can recall? Um, I, I did like to listen to music a lot, uh, and the, my parents have pictures of me with headphones on my head listening to the reel-to-reel tape machine that they had. Um, I, I, I liked all styles of music. I didn't really focus on classical at the time. What was the first music you owned? Do you remember like the first time you had a, a, a something that you were gifted or you somehow managed to – like, this is mine? Yeah, well, that actually gets into my first oh. choice of, of, of music. Um, the story of how I got into music was actually late in life for, for classical uh, standards. Um, in seventh grade at, uh, in Sarasota, which is where we were at that time in my life, um, uh, you get one elective in school and um, I chose Spanish to learn Spanish because I had a lot of Spanish-speaking friends and I, I thought it would be interesting. So. Uh, that was my elective in seventh grade, and and uh, after a couple of weeks with the professor, uh, with the teacher at the, in the class, uh, we didn't get along very well. And uh, I I had a troublesome seventh grade Spanish teacher too. So yeah, there you go. <laughs> I, don't, I didn't enjoy conjugating verbs, I guess. And so I went to the office and I I said, "What else can I take? Because I'm, this isn't working out for me." And um, they said, "Well, the only." Uh, 
only classes that have open positions would be study hall, which I was not going to do. And they said orchestra. And I said, okay, I'll take orchestra. And I I had no idea anything about it, but I didn't want to stay where I was. And uh, so they said, uh, actually, orchestra's meeting right now. Please go down. And Did you wind up, what was your first instrument in that orchestra? Well, I walked into the classroom and the, the conductor, Ken Bauermeister, who's still a good friend of mine, uh, stopped the orchestra and welcomed me into the class. And he said, what would you like to play? And I, I had no idea what any of the instruments were even called. Right, yeah, yeah. And he, he said, well, nobody's playing the viola. Why don't you do that? And I said, Okay. And that's how it all began. (laughs) Did you show promise for it? Did it click for you immediately? I mean, you've obviously made your life playing it. What was the what was that origin moment like? Uh, It did click for me uh, right away. And the teacher, Ken Bauermeister, was such an inspirational, spectacular teacher that uh, it just it was a joy to go to his class every every time that uh, we had orchestra rehearsal. And I, being the only violist, it was interesting because. if you know the orchestra world, there's in high school and junior high, there's there's challenges. You, the way you better yourself, the way you better your seat in the orchestra was you challenge right the, uh, the other people, which in is your like section. a showdown. Right, you you <laughs> both play a piece that's prepared, and whoever's best gets to sit further up in the section. Well, I was the only viola, so I never so got to challenge. You were default chair one. Yeah. So uh, what? Mr. Bauermeister did for me is, is he let me challenge the violinist just for fun. Ah. So I actually got to chip. Play against the violinist to 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 give me incentive to practice, I guess, and hmm. yeah. So it, it was a really enjoyable uh, uh, class. I enjoyed it, and we had a great time. And I made lots of friends in the orchestra, and you know, we got to go to state competitions and things like that. So it was but you uh, found your people. Yeah, it was it was a wonderful uh, experience, and and um, uh, and I just did it for fun at the time. It was it was. Um, when did the uh, idea that you might do it for more than fun come into your consciousness? Well, not, not till later. But um, that first year that I that I took viola, I, I was a paper boy, so I I earned my money to do what I needed to do. And m- my my parents said, if you want anything, you have to earn it. So I would I always worked since I can ever remember. And so I was a paper boy, and I wanted to my own my own viola. So. I delivered papers and saved my money, and I bought my first viola that first year. I remember paying three hundred dollars for this viola, and and um, you don't still have it, do you? No, I. I do you I, wish you did? <laughs> I, I kind of, for for sentimental reasons, I do. Sure, yeah. yeah. It was a nice instrument, uh, um, but uh, also that f- that first summer after I started viola, I had the opportunity to go visit my grandparents for the summer in Pen- in Oxford, Pennsylvania, which is just outside of Philadelphia. And I, I, um, I got to go, but my parents said, if you're going, you have to take your instrument and you have to practice a half hour every day. And I said, okay, that's, I understand. I'll do that. So I went up and spent the summer in Oxford, Pennsylvania, and which is Amish country and it's just beautiful farmland and, and, um, really, uh, didn't practice. <laughs> <laughs> so my grandparents said, okay, you don't practice a half hour today, but you'll have to practice an hour tomorrow. Okay, I'll do that. And, well, By the time it was like, you have to practice a week uh, yeah, next yeah, tomorrow, uh, I, next Tuesday. <laughs> that's literally what happened. I had about a week accrued time and, and uh, my grandmother called my dad and said, listen, he's, he's, he hasn't practiced. He's, he owes all this time. And if he, if he practices for two days, eight hours straight, is he good? And, and they all came to that agreement. And so I said, okay, that's it. I'm I'm going to go sit out on my on my grandparents. They had a swing bench out in their backyard that overlooked this beautiful valley of farmland. And and my repertoire was what maybe three or four songs, right. which I still remember because yeah. I, I practiced <laughs> for 16 hours from two days and and got uh, my obligation out of the way. And um, did that take it up a notch though? It did. That, actually. that intensity yeah, probably sure. Um, you know, you learn discipline yeah. and and uh, what it, you know consequences and things like that. It was a learning experience, and those songs are burned into my head for the rest of my life. And, and they didn't turn didn't turn you off viola. No, I feel like locking a kid in the closet with a pack of cigarettes. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So so I came home and and as a gift, my grandparents bought me an album of the Philadelphia Orchestra strings and. Um, they gave me a T-shirt with uh, that said "Tutti Permuti," and 
Ricardo Muti was the conductor of the Philadelphia Orchestra at the time. So I went home and I I had a record player in my room and and for a couple of years I had this one album and I played I played this Philadelphia Strings uh, for uh, you know. It was my bedtime routine, actually. Did you play with it? Like uh, no, 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 no. This was just listening. This, this was, was just, just you. Listening. Headphones, speakers, yeah. either or. Uh, it was speakers because my dad would always come in and say, "Shut it off, go <laughs> <Not> to <a> bed." <laughs> I've heard that song four hundred times. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but the one song on on that album that uh, it, it was the Barbara Adagio, and um, just that lush sound of the Philadelphia Orchestra, uh, and what uh, what Eugene Ormandy. Uh, was able to get from the Philadelphia Strings just sunk into my core and and uh, and that the Barbara Adagio means something special to me I know it's been used for for movie music and have, has all these different meanings and is generally considered set a sad uh, piece of music but for me it's just it's just this loving feeling that I have of my grandparents and that time in Pennsylvania and just the beautiful scenery so it's that's the, the the meaning that Barbara Dazio has to me. Have you ever played it with the orchestra? Yes, and it's originally for string quartet. It's part of a quartet, and uh, it's it's just such a joy. To play. That's like doubly joyous yeah. for you, probably. It's so lush and so romantic and so spectacular. All right, well, let's listen to it together. This is um, Barbara Dazio for strings. Um, the Philadelphia Orchestra. I don't know how to say all this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> let's listen to it. Is that the same recording? That's the exact same recording. Hmm. I love even hearing the snap, crackle, exactly. pop of the, yeah. of the album. I still have that album. Really? Like yeah. the physical f- album? I have the same. Do you have the means to play it these days? No. <laughs> <laughs> I have a whole album collection. And my wife says, get rid of it. <laughs> oh, you need to go the other way. You get a turntable. Exactly, yeah. uh, So the exact same uh, recording. Isn't that amazing? The, yeah. the, that's like, you know, recordings like that are time travel in a certain sense anyway. But yeah. then to connect it together like this, yeah. that's doubly. It, 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 I can't speak for every musician, but for, but for me... It, when I hear a piece of music, it brings back memories and locations and smells and people. And so just hearing that, every time that I've played it, I just thought through all the times I've performed it, uh, either with orchestra or with string quartet and, and the people and, and where we were. And It's just a, a, a just this rush of memories and feelings. It's great. Another full circle thing, <clears throat> um, not too long ago, Maybe 15 years ago. A gen- Not too long ago. Well, it's all relative, <laughs> I know. Uh, a gentleman retired from the Philadelphia Orchestra down here in southwest Florida, Jim Fawcett. He was a violist for many years uh, with the Philadelphia Orchestra. I got to know him pretty well, and I told him this, basically this scenario and, and uh, that my family's from near Philadelphia. And, and, and I asked him, I said, do you have a viola for sale? And he, he did. And it turns out – and I bought it. Uh, from him, and it's the viola that he that he played on that recording. So I just got a chill. Yeah, isn't that cool. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's wild. Yeah. Oh man. Um. Did you ever get to see the Philadelphia Orchestra? I've seen them here when they, but come. not like when you were a kid or not in like Philadelphia. That, you know? No. Yeah. You know. Um. A question we sometimes ask, sometimes ask, normally toward the end of the show is, is you know, what would your younger self think about where you are today? You know, mm-hmm. can you imagine like? The kid that was listening to that, you know, knowing that you've now spent 30 years with the orchestra and you play the viola and you have the viola. You know what I mean? Like all the things that turned out, like you're 15 or however old you yeah. were at the time. Can you even – that would have blown your mind. Yeah. No, I had no intention or um, – the, the, the direction of, of my life at the time was not in any, you know, not predetermined or, or – I wasn't guided in any certain way, and and that kind of actually gets into how to the next song where how I how I continued with my musical career. Um, so fast forward to high school and my senior year, and I wanted to go to college. I knew I wanted to go to college. I didn't I didn't know where I was going to go, or, or or I didn't actually get much guidance from my parents. Were on you that. in the orchestra all through? Oh yeah, yeah. <clears throat> um, Ken Bauermeister was the conductor of the junior high and the high school orchestra, mm. so he. That was probably a nice bit of continuity yes, for you, yeah, yeah. and and continued to be a, a, a ins- inspirational part of my life. And so it was time to to decide what to do for college, and and um, I was uh, applying, and and uh, Ken Bauermeister said, um, 
why don't you, you should audition whatever school you want to go to because there's opportunity for scholarship. And I said, okay. I, I, my dad wanted me to go into business and, and uh, 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 you know, scholarship was needed since I was paying for my own college. So mm -hmm. I, had, I had to figure out how to, how I was going to do this. Well, so I applied for Florida State University and I went up and uh, got an audition time and I walked into the School of Music and uh, showed up for my appointed time and and uh, went in and the, the entire faculty was sitting in front of me and and I played the song that I had prepared and and uh, turned around. They said, thank you very much. And I turned around and walked out. Well, the viola professor walked out with me into the hallway and said, we'd like to give you a, a full scholarship huh. if you come to Florida State University. And I said, I guess I'm going to become a musician. <laughs> so I, I, I guess the training up to that point, even though it wasn't that serious, was enough to – Yeah. To, what uh, was the piece you played for your audition? Do you remember? Don't want to put you on the spot. I don't remember that actually. Don't remember? No. It wasn't this one. No, it wasn't that. <laughs> um, um, you know, at that time, you know, what, were you listening to other kinds of music besides this classical stuff? Was that like – were you like the weird kid that listened to classical or was this no, no, suddenly no, no. a pivot? You were like – No. I, I never really have focused on listening to that much classical music and, except for – for um, for work or for, well, yeah, yeah, you yeah. call it work, but it's uh, well, yeah, yeah, for, yeah. for, for your... studying and, and right. learning. But in, when I'm not working, when I'm, uh, I like to listen to all different types types of music. I'm, I'm a huge fan of, of bluegrass music, and uh, I, I was into at that time in, in high school. I was actually into jazz fusion, fusion oh, wow. jazz, and, and so I listened to a lot of that and rock and roll. You know, all teenagers did that. And, yeah, yeah. So I I. Um, you know, I, I enjoy aspects of everything. My my criteria, though, is that the music it's actual music played by an actual musician. It's not generated from computers or synthesizers or anything like that. Somebody has to be playing it, and there has to be talent involved. <laughs> what do you? Uh, what do you? How do you listen to your music these days? Meaning, you know, do you stream it? Do you have files on your phone? Do you have CD players for your car? Like what is your methodology of listening? I, I do a lot of streaming now. The car that I have is capability of streaming. So I, I can just say to the to say to my car, play this and it'll it pops up if it's available. And so it's it's quite quite a phenomenal. <laughs> when was the last time you bought music that had a physical form? Um when I buy it, it's because I have to learn it for uh, it's a piece of chamber for music personal or reasons. Yeah, yeah. I mean, for personal reasons, though. Like, when was the last time you like went out and bought a Dave Matthews CD or something like that? Well, that's gets into my third song. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll hold that till later. Yeah. Then. Uh, what about like uh, karaoke and singing? Are you are you a karaoke? You don't strike me maybe as a karaokeer, but no, we it, are surprised sometimes. If you're in the room with me singing, you're you're going to be trying to get out of that room. <laughs> Seriously? Or was yeah. that just self-deprecating? I karaoke'd once and it was uh, a fun experience. Do, was, was Eric Raditz involved? <laughs> he may have been. <laughs> yes. Uh, what about dancing? Was he really? Uh, yes, you don't have to answer that. Um, uh, dancing. Are you a dancer no. like at a wedding uh, or I, anything like that? No, I'll, I avoid dancing at all costs. What about uh, uh, concerts that you've seen over your career? Like, you know, do you have any peak concert experiences? And I don't mean like symphonic stuff. I mean like rock and roll or, or jazz or whatever. Um, well, back in my in the the jazz days, uh, I'm trying to think. Uh, nothing that really stands out. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, you get to see a lot of bands because of the Sydney and Burn, right? Oh yeah. Um, you know, any of those stand out as ones that were memorable? Hmm. Or are there just too many of them There's they blur so many, together? Yeah, That's I like can't. us with the radio show. It's like I don't even know what I did yesterday, let alone yeah. my favorite one. We just had uh, – you know, we have the recording studios at the Sydney and Burn Davis Heart Center and we had Electric Mud do some recordings. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I love listening to that yeah. stuff because they're all – I mean they're in there and they're, and it's just live and it's raw and it's – and, and you know they're doing it without edits, and it's it's just so great to listen to. We had them on Gulf Coast Live in our performance studio, right on the other side yeah. of this wall. And you know we we don't have the ability to mix it all in a way that they you guys do over there. But mm. man, I loved yeah, I loved their everything. Yeah, yeah they had a right, really solid tight. thing. Mm -hmm. um, do you remember when the idea first crossed your brain that that old courthouse should be an art center? <laughs> <laughs> How did that come about? I don't know what the origin story is on that. I know you've been. Yeah, pushing well, it since the beginning, but I yeah. didn't know where the idea came from. Yeah, well, moved back here after school, after college in in 1988, and started a music festival, the New Art, or Music Dance and Theater Festival, the New Arts Festival. 
What year was that? That was um, – 88? 90-ish to 97, I okay. think. It was seven years that I was involved. And and we all the performances took place in the then-empty storefronts in downtown. Mm-hmm. And we utilized the Arcade Theater, which had just been renovated. And, um, you know, we brought in – Yeah, that time there, downtown was, yeah. there was not much going on. Yeah. And the courthouse was being vacated because they were building a new courthouse right. further down the street. And – I would just walk up to the windows, the doors and the windows in that building and look inside and see the water cascading down the walls and and melting and deteriorating. It's a beautiful building on the outside, but it was just rotting on the inside. Mm-hmm. And uh I mean it's a it's a it's an involved story, but I I just started asking questions and saying what's going to happen with this place and what can how can I Bring the arts to downtown and, and bring bring life back into Fort Myers. I remember when we first like covered the whole thing happening in the early days through radio and I remember you kind of dreaming of what <laughs> it could be someday. And yeah. it's that. Yeah. You, it's it's that. You did <laughs> I did mean, have the feel? vision. I, you had a you had a long yeah. road and a steep hill and now I mean that place is it's you know, it's it's doing great stuff and it's you know, yeah. you're getting ready to open the roof and all that stuff. Yeah. I must be pretty proud. Yeah. It's um it's been a long time coming, and my hair was a lot darker <laughs> when I started, but uh, it's um, it's really come to fruition, and it's exactly what I had dreamed. You know, I went back through our archives. Richard actually went back through our Uh-oh. archives and found um, uh, I did a story. It was just a, sort of a narration, a narration free story. So it's just you talking. The day that they knocked the left the entrance when they took the yeah. wall down. Yeah. We, like, we we did that. Richard, can you play a little bit of that? It's in the folder. I didn't move it over, but Uh-oh. play just a little <laughs> bit of it. Um, uh, uh, so Sydney and Burn Davis Arts Center, what else is left on your like your list of things to do? I know there's probably quite a few things, but I mean, it's getting toward completion, right? Yeah. Well, we're in the middle of, uh, of building out the rooftop sculpture garden, which has turned into a huge project. And then you know, we've done all the work on the inside, and from a, from a distance, the outside of the building looks spectacular. But the but if you get up close, it really needs. It's been neglected, and it needs a lot of work. So that's the next phase. Well, these beautiful doors that took people into the public lobbies, where uh, one would go in and buy your stamps. Uh, the lobbies were highly ornate with decorative ceilings and beautiful chandeliers and ornate metal uh, writing desks. And that's where the, the federal government spent their money on this building. It was a beautiful place to go and, and uh, do your transaction. And it also put a lot of artists to work um, creating such fancy lobbies. Um, when they converted the- so, you know, wow. yeah, yeah, right? And, and- 2008, and you talk a little bit later then, you talk about how up above these, you know, the drop ceilings that were put in, there's mm-hmm. these fancy roofs and everything, yeah. and, and you've had that all redone now, and it's yeah. all in its former splendor. And, yeah, you know, that's so cool. Yeah, a little time travel. I thought Neat. I'd throw that at you. <laughs> um, okay, well, let's move on to your second song. Okay, so um, I went to Florida State and uh, um, got serious about my practicing and um, – Met a young lady there at Florida State. Her name was Kara Walker, and we started dating. and And um, the that following summer, she was going to go to the Aspen Music Festival, and um, I wanted to join her and go to Aspen. and Didn't really know much about it, but that's where she was going. Right, so you're following I along. To go. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I I applied, and they accepted me, but they didn't give me any scholarship, and and uh, therefore I could not go. So I. Came home and my dad got me a job working construction and and uh, that's what I was going to do that summer and she was already off to Aspen. Well, um, the festival called me just the, basically the day before it started and said um, we need more violas and we'd like to give you a scholarship to come. Uh huh. So I that must have felt good. I said I'll be right there <laughs> <laughs> and um, uh, hopped on a plane and. And for the first time, uh, basically out of Florida uh, into the Rocky Mountains, I, yeah. I landed in Aspen, Colorado, and Big could not believe like a foreign planet. Oh, it was so <laughs> beautiful and so spectacular, and um, and that was summer. summer it was summertime. summertime yeah, yeah. In Aspen. The, yeah. There was still snow on the caps. Yeah, and yeah, it, yeah, was, yeah. it was great. So I found uh, I, I found where I was supposed to live and got all moved in and said, okay. And I hadn't told Kara that um, 
my girlfriend that I was there and uh-huh. I was going to surprise her. So I found her – Risky. Her ski <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Uh, I found her uh, uh, accommodations and I went and it was up on the third floor that overlooked the swimming pool and, and hot tub. It was just this beautiful – um, ski lodge, and I went up and I knocked on her door, no answer, knocked on her door, no answer. I said, hmm, what do I do? I turned around and I looked down at the pool and the hot tub, and there were about 10 people in the hot tub. It was all 10 guys and one girl. And I looked, and that was Kara. Risky. <laughs> <laughs> so I yelled down, Kara, and she looked, saw me, and she came running up, and I thought, it's a good thing I'm uh-huh. here. <laughs> so, so I had a great uh, experience at Aspen, and, 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 um, I didn't know who my teacher was going to be. I, I, you know, none of that because I was you were thrust in last it. minute. Yeah. yeah, so I went to the office and they said, "Well, um, here's a list of all the teachers." And I read all their bios, and they're all, of course, they're all spectacular. They're just legends of of, of faculty. And and there was one that was the teacher at Juilliard. And her name was Lillian Fuchs, and I didn't know, you know, spectacular bio, and she's. Uh, Great, and I said, "Okay, I'll, I'll study with Lillian Fuchs." And they said, "Okay, your assigned time is here, and you, this is where you go." And and um, so, I, I, the, when my lesson time came, I went and I opened. She opened the door, and there was this little ninety-something-year-old lady that was about four foot six. And um, I thought, "What have I gotten myself into here?" <laughs> <laughs> and uh, she brought me in, and um, we had a little chat. And she sat down on her on her couch and said, "Okay, play for me." So uh, I I had something prepared, and I remember what this was: uh, it was the uh, uh, Karl Maria von Weber uh, Rondo and Hungarian um, Rhapsody, and and um, so I played that for her. And there was this strange silence after I played. It's just she just was looking around, looking, and, and you could tell she was thinking and looking and thinking. She doesn't like me. What is what, what's going to happen here? And the first words out of her mouth were, "You're coming to New York with me." Uh, <laughs> so, uh, how'd that feel? Oh my gosh! I, I, I just just now, I still a yeah. flush of adrenaline goes through my me, and and um, she said, "You're going to have to go back to Florida State and practice like a madman." And prepare. Just like you're in Amish country. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah, I've made up for those those missed days in Pennsylvania. But uh, more, um, so so I did that. I went back to Florida State and um, uh, prepared for an audition for the Manhattan School of Music, which where she was also on the faculty. She was on the faculty of Manhattan School of Music and Juilliard. And um, so I, I, she said, "You're not ready for Juilliard yet, but uh, I I can." I can see you'll be ready for Manhattan School of Music. So I did that and I went back to Florida State and I told my teacher what I wanted to do at Florida State and he says, "Oh, you'll never you'll never get get into Manhattan School of Music or Juilliard." And oh, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> so that inspired me even more. I mean, I I just really sunk in and I practiced and I practiced and I practiced and I I basically lived in a practice room uh that that third year at Florida State. She put that carrot out in she front did. of you. Yeah. Yeah. And I and I I told my father that I wanted to go to New York, and he says, "Great, how are you going to pay for it?" And I said, "I guess I'll figure that out." And um, um, so I, I prepared, and when the audition time came, I went up and and did my thing, and I was accepted into the Manhattan School of Music. And was that uh, like you were still in your undergraduate, or did you? Yes. Okay. That's so what it was I a transfer. Okay. I transferred, and I uh, did did very well, and and. Miss Fuchs was one of the biggest inspirations in my life, and and um, had a quite a successful two years at Manhattan School of Music. And then it came time for for uh, audition at Juilliard to get my master's degree, and and uh, I did nothing but practice. I lived in a practice room and and uh, day and night, and and worked my tail off, and and uh, did the audition at Juilliard, and and um, was accepted, and and. Uh, that's where I did my master's degree, and um, so this gets into my second piece. So, so here I am, this Amish country prep violist <laughs> from Florida and in the Bahamas, and and uh, I, I've gotten myself into Juilliard, and and uh, the opportunities at Juilliard were so remarkable. I mean, we're p- performing with 
Itzhak Perlman and Yo-Yo Ma and Isaac Stern and Leonard Bernstein and, and Pavarotti. I mean, they're, they're all at our fingertips and they're all, and they're, they're all just giving all of their experience and their knowledge and, wow. and just pouring it into all the students at Juilliard. And it was just an amazing experience. And one of the things that we did was um, uh, we got to perform with the New York Philharmonic. The Juilliard Orchestra and the New York Philharmonic did joint concerts at Avery Fisher Hall. And one of the concerts was with Zubin Mehta conducting. And I always remember walking down Broadway and there's Zubin Mehta's Rolls Royce parked outside of Avery Fisher Hall at Lincoln Center. And um, so here I am, I get to perform on the stage in, in Avery Fisher Hall with Zubin Mehta conducting us. And, and the, one of the pieces we did was Stravinsky's Rite of Spring. And um, he did it from memory. And he was such an inspiration to all of us. And it was such an amazing experience. Just the, the highlight of my life was this performing in, at that hall with him conducting with such a great orchestra. And uh, so uh, the Rite of Spring is, will always be remembered for that. And shortly after that, the Juilliard Orchestra toured Asia. We went to Japan, China, and Hong Kong. And we took Rite of Spring with us. And mm. we performed it multiple times. Wow. And uh, just great experiences. Well, let's listen to it. This is uh, Stravinsky's Rite of Spring, right? Yep. You mentioned that uh, he did it without notes, or he did it from, without, me- score, from, from, yeah. Yeah, without score, from memory. I take it that's not common then? Well, for a piece of that complexity and the, the many rhythm, uh, meter changes and all that thing, with the, the massive size of the orchestra. Yeah, yeah. And he, you know, <laughs> yeah, that was a, an abbreviated version yeah. of it, but um, the, the just the complexity of the piece, and the, yeah. the, and he was able. He just gave every single cue. It, it was just the song. The piece was a part of him, and yeah. and uh, it was it was spectacular. And that and what we were just listening to was a an orchestra conducted being conducted by, 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 by him. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, did you ever get to play you know for him again, or you know did he? No, nope, that was my him? only experience with yeah. him. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. Um, uh, uh, so far, so far, it's not too late, right? Yeah. Um, you know, uh, how did you wind up at the uh, the Phil? So you, you still call it Phil? Yeah, well, <laughs> some people do. Yes, that's what came out of my head yeah. when I tried to think about it. Well, it's still the Naples Philharmonic, yes. right? Right. Um, the uh, so I, I graduated from Juilliard, and all throughout school, I was. Um, called by some of the orchestras down here in Florida to bring some of my Juilliard friends down and fill out the orchestras during the season um, to enhance the orchestra. So I was kind of known as the Florida contractor. So and it, this was back when People's Express was the air, uh, an airline, and they had these red eye. Mid- name I haven't heard in a long time. <laughs> <laughs> they had these red eye midnight flights that were very reasonable. So the orchestras would fly us down, put us up in beautiful houses, usually on the beach somewhere, and they would rent us cars and and pay us to come play in their orchestras. And and Juilliard had a, a policy where if you got work experience, they would allow you out of class to to do that. And um, wouldn't penalize your grade or anything. Right. So, so I like, was flying back and forth to best Florida. Best of all things there. Yeah, it was it was wonderful. So you're gaining work experience and getting paid and, and still being able to go to school. So I was doing that quite regularly and I was playing in Sarasota, Tampa, um, Fort Myers and Palm Beach and um, Fort Lauderdale quite regularly. And so and we'd, we'd always would have such a great time. We'd be able to fish and sailboat and all that stuff while we were here. So it was very... Uh, very attractive. And as soon as I graduated, um, that young lady that I followed to Aspen um, let me know that she, she she transferred to Indiana University. She was a violinist. And um, I went to New York and we didn't see each other for five years. Well, she, she let me know that um, she'd just taken a studio, a violin, Suzuki violin studio in Fort Myers and uh, taking over somebody's class who was getting married and leaving the area. So I said, hmm, should I move back to Florida? Hmm. Well, I, I I did. I followed her back down here and we – More got, than once you followed yes, her now. and got back together and um, we started dating again. And um, it was right about that time that the Naples Philharmonic uh, – uh, well, the, the, the hall was open 
I think it was 1989, right? That sounds about right. And I started uh, working with the Naples Philharmonic. And um, we then, we got married and... and uh, I didn't want to give it away. <laughs> <laughs> we are still married, uh, 20, so we're married in 90, so uh, 28 years now. Um, and uh, I've been working with the Naples Philharmonic uh, ever, ever since. It's my 30th season with the orchestra. You know, when you uh, having played with an orchestra for 30 seasons when it's showtime, do you do you do you guys get like still amped up or at some point does it just become like another day at the office or like explore that sort of, you know. Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, and it depends on the program and it depends on the conductor and it depends on the audience and um, there, there's all these different elements that go into yeah, it. Yeah. If it's a new experience, if it's new music, if it's uh, if it's a great conductor that's visiting or um, uh, yeah, there's. We still. There, you there's still, still sometimes still where nervous. you're on the edge of your oh, seat. Sure, sure. sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, talk just a little bit about. Um, you know, you have a performance venue now. You have all these people. You get to bring them together. That must be a real joy to be able to be on the presenting side and the performing side. It is. It's. It's funny. I do lead two different lives. I in Fort Myers. I'm. I'm the boss, and and I give all the direction, and um, I get to make all the decisions and. Um, I'm also responsible if anything goes wrong because when, when it does, and it always does, everyone looks at me. Right. Why did it go wrong? But when it goes right, it goes really, really well and, and um, lots of great things. Whereas in Naples, I, I am hired to sit down and play the notes that are put in front of me and play them the way that, that the conductor wants me to play them. So it's two different roles and, and they kind of play off of each other. It's, yeah, yeah. Um, uh Musicals, uh, you know, uh, Broadway musicals, movie musicals. Are these things that are of interest to you? And if so, do you have any that are favorites? To be honest with you, I'm not a big That's musical okay. you don't fan. Have to be, you don't have to be ashamed. It's okay. <laughs> yeah. Of course, Andrew Lloyd Webber and, and John Williams, the, the music of those those con- composers are, are fabulous. And But you're not going to go like see Lion King when it comes to town. I, I have gone to see Lion <laughs> King. <laughs> was that because of your kids? It was because of my kids. Okay, yes. I was just about to say, I'm in this weird experience right now where I've never been into musicals throughout my life. That I would have professed not being into musicals, mm-hmm. neither Broadway or TV yeah. or movies. But you know, now I've got a daughter who's super into that. And mm-hmm. so suddenly it's like a huge joy for me mm-hmm. to be able to experience those because of the joy it brings to her. Sure. So exactly. That's exactly. Exactly. Isn't that well interesting played. how it works? Yes. Um, do you have a favorite band? Um, <clears throat> yes. Um, right now, my favorite band is Mumford and Sons. Oh, okay. I, I listen to them nonstop all I, the time. I could see that. Those yeah. are actual musicians playing yeah. instruments. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. And, and that's that's my love of, of bluegrass. Is it's it's just there's a lot of talent involved and. In, uh, they all have. They're having a good time when they're playing. So, Chris Thiel is another great. Okay. And, yeah. 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 Uh, Punch Brothers. Oh, I love to listen to that, that that music. It's such a joy. What about you playing bluegrass? I mean, you play never, you play the viola. You know, it. you could you could. I mean, you never tried. No. Nope. Oh, it just seems like you probably have the tools. <laughs> <laughs> I do, but it's it's it, it, it is a completely different. Oh, it thing. is. And and I'm not an improviser either. There are people that can. Gotcha. Because bluegrass can, is really that. I pretty mean, much. Yeah. yeah. It's like jazz with fiddles. I have to have a chart in front of me. I have to have notes and. With direction and that says this is how you you you're supposed to play it. I I'm, I'm not an improviser. I just don't have that ear. I, by maybe by, it's because I started late in music. I don't right, know. right, right. Yeah, but, no, that's you know, there's maybe something to that. Um, uh, you know, are you at a point now where somebody can just put a score down in front of you and give you a little bit of direction and boom, you can just take pick it up and go? Yeah, that's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Um, okay, it's time for your last song. All right. So Which is not classical music. It's not classical music. Um, but it's it represents a period of my life and, and a kind of a philosophy and, and um it was a it was a big part of um of my daughter's life when I, I we had two daughters, Kara and I have two daughters. Nina is the oldest and Lily is the youngest, and I made a commitment uh from day one that education was gonna be their you know the top priority is we're going to give them the best education we can that's that's one of our as parents that's i think one of our most important things so i committed to getting them to school every day no matter what and for 18 years i drove my daughters to school um 
with the exception of maybe two or three days over 18 years because of work that I was not able to do it. But that that was our routine. I took them to school every right. morning. I, I, I was a bus rider when I was a kid, and uh -huh. I said, I'm not going to subject my daughters to that. Uh -huh. um, for me, it was a social nightmare, and for some people, they like it. But uh, the time that you sit on a bus was it just wasn't going to be a part of my daughter's life. So gotcha. I com I made that commitment. No matter what, how early they start school, <laughs> I was going to do it. No matter how late my concert went the night before, I was up to to take my daughters to school. So I had this car, and, and in in this car had a CD player, and one of the only one of the purchases of of CDs that I ever made was the Dave Matthews Band. And I stuck it in the CD player in the back of my car and, and it played the, the CD Crash. Mm -hmm. And it played for years. That was basically... That was the soundtrack to your car. Yeah, that's basically <laughs> what I listened to. Um, I love Dave Matthews Band and they, they it's a fantastic group of musicians and they do a lot of improvising. They don't just play the, their song in live performance. Uh -huh. they, they go off on these... Um, Imp improvisational t tangents that are that are a lot of fun to listen to, mm -hmm. I think. Yeah, yeah. And, of course, it takes a lot of talent to do that. I recognize that impro improvising uh, is a great talent and, and uh, I, I appreciate that. So I had the CD in my car and every morning uh, that was the, basically the music. And then one day, one, Nina, my oldest daughter, said, play the monkey song. <laughs> I said, the monkey song? What is that? I didn't even know what yeah, she was talking yeah, yeah. about. And she said, the monkey song, the monkey song. So I figured out which song that was. And it's the last track on the album. And it's a, it's, it's, it's a, it's a long song. And, Slow and, burn. Yeah. 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 And it's about this monkey. And, and, and there's monkey sounds made, out of, made from the instruments and all this. And I never really li realized listening to it because it was, you know, it's, it's background right. music to me. And I, was, I don't. I'm not big on lyrics or anything like that, but that. So, so you hadn't really dialed into what the song was saying yet. No, not at all. Oh, I gotcha. Um, but then I did, and um, every day when we got in our car, play the monkey song, monkey song. So it was quite a routine for a number of years that the monkey song got us from home to school, and we listened to it every morning. So that was a. And how old would your daughters have been at this? They point? They were in elementary school, so. Wow. So. Six through yeah. fifth grade, I guess. Six year, uh, first grade through fifth grade. We listen to it almost every morning. Mm. Yeah, and it's about uh, it's about a monkey. That's uh, well, you, you'll you'll listen to the lyrics, I guess. Okay, so <laughs> but you, you want to? In a way, it's kind of feel like it's a little bit about me. I I got to go to the big city and and experience the big city, and, and I got to come back to where my origins and enjoy what. Uh, this area has to offer. Well, let's listen to it. I, I told you before the show, I was a big Dave Matthews fan, but it mm. kind of fell off, and this was one of my favorite songs, and I have not listened to it straight on through for a long time, so we're about to do it now. This is uh, uh, Proudest Monkey by the Dave Matthews Band from their 1996 album, Crash. Is there any singing going on in that car? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Much like loving musicals through your daughter's eyes, yeah. singing becomes feasible in your daughter's presence, huh? Yeah. All three of us would join in. That would be great. What kind of car was it? That was a Lexus LX400. All right. <laughs> they would fit in the back seat somehow. <laughs> uh, did you ever see Dave Matthews live? I have not. Really? Uh, I'd oh, love to. But he, they come to West Palm like every time I know, they're on and tour. to Tampa. I, I, I notice when he's nearby, but I just, I'm usually working. So yeah, yeah, that's I true. And, and I'm pretty sure, if I remember my, my history correctly, that that is a live recording. That's, that, that's not a studio song. I think that was a – Is that right? Yeah, I think that's a live recording at the end. That's mm. why it has that sort of room sound to yeah. it. Yeah. Um, uh, are your daughters musicians? In a sense, they are. They, of course, they studied violin as soon as they could walk. They, my my wife is a violin teacher, right. so, so that was part of their upbringing. They, it it wasn't a question uh, whether they would. They just did. It was part of their life. It was music has always been a part of their life, and they've been to many concerts. And but it did get to a point in their teen years where they didn't want to do it anymore, as ha happens often. And we said, well, music has to be a part of your life. You. You can switch instruments, and, or, but you have to do music until you're 18 and you're on your own. Um, so they both switch to guitar and, okay. they, and they still play. Um, 
one's a guitarist and one's a bass guitarist. Oh, cool. They they play in their church bands and oh, nice. things like that. Yeah. Hmm. Um, uh, you know, um, my Dave Matthews story with that song, like my memory is being out in the – not really the woods but not really the city. Like halfway between LaBelle and Clewiston, <laughs> I had a friend who had property and we'd go out there and he had this great big giant speaker and we were – there was no neighbor. Hmm. You know, we could play music as loud as we want. Mm-hmm. And I can clearly remember I had a mix of songs that I like to listen to that like that. And that was one of those songs, and I can just remember being out there in the middle of nowhere with that thing playing like super, <laughs> super, super loud. And my other thing that you reminded me of is uh, my daughter, uh, one of my favorite bands, or my favorite band is this weird Canadian band called Moxie Fruvis that you've probably mm-hmm. never even heard of. But when she was little, I would play the, their main album, and she would, when she was old enough to start identifying, she's like, Dad, play the Romeo song. Play the Romeo song. And there's this song that it has the word Romeo in it toward the beginning, but it, it was like, oh. The, the, innocence, the beauty of innocence. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. um, uh, so, so after that song every day, t- dropping yeah, my yeah, girls yeah. off to school, that's when I would go downtown to the old federal building and start working on making that an art center. Wow. That was kind of my inspiration. Wow. No, yeah. that's beautiful. Yeah. Where did you start? With the art center. Like what was like <laughs> – I don't want to go too far down this road, but yeah. like, you know, that's like, like when everything needs to be done, like what was your first way into improvement? I, I actually remember the, the first time I had the idea, I was sitting in a rotary meeting, the downtown Rotary Club, and Senator Congressman Porter Goss yes. came and spoke and he said, this is what's going to happen to that building. And uh, I went to him after the meeting and said, um, I would very much be interested in – acquiring that building and making it an art center. And he said, well, here's how it works. You, you, it's offered to the state first. Uh, and if they don't want it, then it's offered to the county. If they don't want it, then it's offered to the city. And if they don't want it, then it's offered to nonprofits. That's ne- I'm, never, I'm not even going to have a chance. Well, it did get down to the city and the city bought it. I think they bought it for $185,000. Uh-huh. But they didn't have an intended use for it. And right. They didn't have the funds to restore it like it needed. So it sat empty for a couple more years. And the mayor at the time, Jim Humphrey, uh, mm-hmm. I met with him and said, here's my idea. He knew the economic impact that the arts could bring uh-huh. to an area. And downtown at the time was blighted. It was basically non-existent. And so he he knew what a project like this could bring to downtown. So um, he put – he created a committee of community leaders to decide what to do with the building. They put a request for proposals out. A number of – came in. Mine – was one of them, and mine was selected unanimously by this committee. Then we negotiated for a year um, on the terms on this, So, I, and I got the building for 99 years for a dollar a year. I took out my checkbook, and I wrote a check for $99, <laughs> paid it in advance, and uh, then I thought, hmm, I don't have two nickels to rub together yeah, to do this what? project. So <laughs> then I started learning how to fundraise, and, right. and we started holding events. And, and, and you're just all self-taught in all that All self yeah. Completely. Yeah, I, I, I say I find myself saying all that. They didn't teach me this at Juilliard. <laughs> yeah, ex- uh, that's funny. You know, uh, uh, Porter Goss's son Chauncey was sitting in that chair three uh, days ago because uh, he's now the chairman of the South Florida Water Management uh, District. And I grew up with hmm. Jim Humphrey's daughter. Is that right? Yeah. <laughs> small world. It is a small world. Yeah. Um, okay, we are we are heading in for a landing here okay. in a little bit. Um, do you have a fourth song that almost made it? Was there something you had to cut? Um, no, I didn't. <laughs> it was pretty easy then? Yeah. Okay. Because yeah. some people, this is torturous. Really? Oh, yeah. Like when we did the live show a couple of days ago, the guy, he changed his third song three hours before we oh, went really? live. Like because he, he was so torn. No, I uh, – it's it's – those are the three parts of my life that really stood out. I mean, music has been a part of my life in, in every genre that I've performed and all the great music, Beethoven, Mozart, Brahms, Schumann, Stravinsky. It's, I've just had a blessed life of, of music. And and one of the questions I'm asked often is when I say I'm in the Naples Philharmonic or any orchestra or that music is how I make my living, is they say, what do you how, what do, you do for income? I actually earn a decent living doing this, so uh, it's a surprise to some. And um, of course, it's supplemented with my income from from the art center. And but it's all music; it's all music related. It's it's uh, I've I've had a blessed life so far. And, 
And uh, no no plans of going anywhere in terms of. I mean, you're obviously not leaving Fort Myers, right? No. And then the Naples Phil. I mean, you guys just you're just heading on down that road. We're having a good time. Cool. Um, uh, do you have any albums that are like? What is your most listened to album in your life? Like, if you had to maybe narrow it down. I don't, I, I've quit asking favorite or best, but like, what have you made? You know, Dave Matthews Crash maybe is what you've that's one of them. Play the most I, times I, I on. Played Alanis Morissette a lot back. Oh back yeah, to, cool. Back then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Alanis Morissette. Yeah, oh. yeah. <laughs> um, oh, Chicago. Okay. That's one of my favorite bands. Okay. Again, very talented musicians. Absolutely. They were, they were classically trained yeah. brass players, and and uh, they they made a rock and roll band out of it, and they are still as popular today as they were back in their heyday. And could you imagine yourself ever winding up in a band? Just for fun? Just for fun. I would do it. Yeah. Sure. Well, we need to find four more things. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Meet yeah. John Davis on the cello, yeah. me on the ukulele, Jim on the viola, I like it. Richard on the electric guitar, <laughs> and Mark Davis on the drums. Yeah. <laughs> um, dream gigs as a violist. Do you have something that maybe play with uh, Zubin Mehta again? Well, well, if if I could play with the Philadelphia Orchestra, I would. That's it's, the one? Yeah, that's the, to me that as far as a string player goes, that's the pinnacle. Is that something that you kind of can reach out for, or is that one of those things that's just serendipity for somebody in your world? I, at this point in my my career, I I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, a good friend of mine is the concert master of the orchestra, David Kim, and he we went to Juilliard together, and I'm so proud that he has attained that position. He's been, he's been there for quite some time now. So mm. I live vicariously through him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, okay, uh, last question. Are there any songs that you will always avoid listening to? <laughs> um, uh, let's see. <laughs> I, you're putting me on the spot. I don't, I don't want to discriminate. I, I do avoid musicals, though. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and my wife loves them. So oh, oh. I, I have to suffer through them sometimes in movies. <laughs> Used the word suffered, Jim. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, any final thoughts? No, I, I really appreciate the opportunity. This is a fun, fun show, and uh, it uh, was fun rehashing my life and coming up with the three songs that we were able to feature today. Cool. Thank you for doing it, and I will see you downtown, that's for sure. Absolutely. Thank you. We make three song stories in the studios of WGCU Public Radio on the campus of Florida Gulf Coast University in Fort Myers, Florida. Richard Chinqui is co-creator and producer. Tara Callaghan is online content producer. Our executive producer is Chris Duffus. Our theme song was made by Dave 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 Cowan and Stick Martin at Monkey House Studio in St. Pete. For this week's Parting Tune, I'm going back to the first official episode of this show, besides the pilot episode with Richard, which we released simultaneously. It was with Bob Grissinger from Bennett's Fresh Roast in downtown Fort Myers, who previously had had a long career as an on-air personality in commercial radio. You see, it kind of feels like we've turned a corner recently with this podcast and the number of people who are finding it and seemingly climbing on board. We're not only getting substantially more downloads of new episodes, but lots of random downloads across our now 60-episode catalog. This is mine blowingly cool for us. But it's also got us going back and listening to some of our early episodes to see how they've aged and maybe how well they stand up. If I do say so myself, they stand up great and we've really got something good going on here. So this is a nod back to our first real guest's first song. It's What's Going On by Marvin Gaye. You'll have to go find it to hear the story that came with it. I'm Mike Canary. Keep listening. Next time on Three Song Stories. My hands are shaking. Were your hands shaking? Yes. Okay. Yes. I was extremely nervous. All right, all right. If you listen it makes me feel... It, if, if you listen to the beginning of mine, it took me like like two or three minutes to get my I've been preparing settled, for this you know day I mean? for so long. I know. And now I'm like... <laughs> <laughs>